And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it away, Michael. All right, folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 114 today. Uh, the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World is what we will be talking about here. And uh, yeah, why don't you go out and check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice for $2 a month. You'll get exclusive uh, interviews and videos. And we're going to start making shorter videos. I'm, I'm going to upload some on there uh, sometime in the near future. Uh, also check out our website at uh, mikeandmauricemindescape.com and uh, we are on all social media platforms. What's going on, Maurice? How are you? Well, hello there. <clears throat> so this episode is actually one of your ideas. I think you mentioned this last week or two weeks ago. I don't know. You said something about that. We should do one on the, the wonders of the world. I was saying that, but I don't <laughs> know if I was talking about the actual natural wonders, which is a cool concept. Where you're talking about like the modern ones, like the Golden Gate Bridge and that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, we're doing the ancient wonders, so I think these are far more mysterious anyways. Well, there's the, there's the seven natural wonders, the seven oh, yeah, yeah, ancient yeah, yeah. wonders, yeah, yeah. and then there's the modern ones. But we could do a couple of different episodes if people are into it. Leave a comment below, <clears throat> smash that like button, and subscribe. Also, if you're listening to us on the audio platform, please subscribe and uh, leave us a nice review. We appreciate that. All right, well, let's get into this here. This is a painting um, of the... It's um, Helen of Troy being captured, and in the background you can see uh, the, the artist's rendering of the seven ancient wonders of the world. I'll leave this up for just a second. Also... If you're listening, um, this is also a slideshow on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe. But um, we're going to do more interviews here. We were just going through like a little period here where we were getting some stuff out uh, with some of these slideshows and stuff. So, All right. The first one is the Colossus of Rhodes in Greece. Uh, the Colossus of Rhodes was a statue of the Greek sun god Helios or Helios. It was sculpted and erected in roughly 280 BC by Charles of Lindos. Um, it was built to celebrate Rhodes's victory over the ruler of uh, Cyprus. Um, it was built using iron, tar uh, iron tie bars and brass, which were used for the skin and the exterior. Uh, and then the interior, they would fill it in with stone um, as the project progressed. So they, like, they started at the bottom, had the structure, and they would slowly like fill in the interior as they would go all the way up. Some have suggested using like a ramp on the um, the uh, the harbor wall that some think it was located. Other people think it was located um, in some other way, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, it stood 108 feet tall. It's pretty high, uh, yeah. which is 33 meters or 70 cubits tall. Um, if that's how tall it was, then it would have been the tallest uh, structure at the time, I believe. Beautiful. So, there is a debate whether it was erected on a breakwater in the harbor or straddling the harbor entrance. And it almost reminds me of something from uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, maybe kind of. I'll show you. I'll pull up a picture here in a second. Um, and it was just destroyed in 226 BC by a large earthquake. 
That's a shame. So here's the picture. This is one of the ways that it's usually depicted. See how the uh, the legs of Colossus are spread out. One leg is on one side of the harbor wall and the other leg is on the other side of the harbor wall. <clears throat> and um, the boats would travel between it, um, which is kind of goofy if you think about it. <laughs> uh, but again, it was the, I think the largest single standing structure. I mean, there's obviously taller structures. The great pyramids are 455, I think feet tall or something like that. But this was this like single sculpture type. Uh, so this is like a third of a football field and the the pyramids are like over a football field. Yeah. Yeah. This does look like something out of Lord of the Rings from that first one when they're approaching that I can't, I can't remember what city it was, but it was all in ruins. I'm sure a lot of that stuff's based on real history. Yeah, we got to call Gudai up for that one. <laughs> got to come out with a real elven sword. <laughs> um, so here, let me pull up another picture here. Again, same thing, split. His legs split across the harbor wall. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Uh, I don't know. Some say, too, that this was the inspiration for the Statue of Liberty, which it does kind of look like. Um, right. It, it could have been. And I'm sure everything has a little, you know, tid. Oh, wow. Yeah, from behind that thing. Right. And then here's a front, uh, more frontal picture. This one's a little different, though. So this one's depicting it on one side of the harbor wall, almost like it's greeting um, the people as they come in. And did you say how long it took to, to build that? Um, I did. Let me pull it up here. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, it's, where did I have that? Yeah, I can definitely see some Statue of Liberty influence. So it was, I think it took like 10 or 15 years to build, if I'm not mistaken. And it was uh, built in 280 BC. Okay. But it was destroyed in 226 by an earthquake. And from, um... I'm sure if you remember, obviously, we just did our episode on Greek megalithic structures and temples. A lot of these ancient structures were either destroyed by earthquakes, temples, or Xerxes. So, Yeah, Xerxes, this guy. This is a lot later than Xerxes. Xerxes was 480 BC when he destroyed everything. So, Me coming from like a video editor's uh, viewpoint, I couldn't imagine working on something for 15 years and right. then having the earth... Right. suck it right back in um i think though i mean i don't know it's interesting to to think about when you discuss these um topics that we have only been or the united states we're, we're living here in the u.s to anybody that's listening we've only been around for a few hundred years and we approach things as if we know all the history of the world and this timeline, this uniformitarianism timeline. Um, and yeah, we're babies. Really, we're babies, and we don't we don't have really the context to put these things into perspective. Um, so at the time, these would have been huge, huge accomplishments and feats, and obviously people are still talking about them to this day. Um, yeah. And rightfully so. I'm glad that we do because otherwise it would have just been lost forever like right. i said spending 15 years on on a project 
and then to have no recollection of it. I constantly am saving all my stuff on multiple hard drives because if one of those goes bad, there goes that could be your life's work if you're not backing well, yeah, stuff up. I mean, even if there was just a solar flare or a mass ejection, it wipes everything out. Your your hard drive won't even matter because there won't even be any use for it anymore. So yeah, excuse me. And then I cry. All that work for nothing. <laughs> It might be for nothing anyway, but I regress. <clears throat> All right, moving on. The statue of Zeus at Olympia. Uh, the statue was 41 feet tall. It was built and sculpt, uh, sculpted by Phidias in 435 BC. It was erected in the temple of Zeus at Olympia, which was one of the temples that I showed when we did the megalithic structure and temple episode here, the last episode. Um it was a, I don't even know how to pronounce this word, but uh, chrysolephantine stru- uh, structure. Uh, chrysolephantine, chrysolephantine structure. Looks good enough for me. Something like that. Uh, which means it was made from golden ivory. Uh, it was commissioned by the Elians, and the Greek geographer uh, Pausanias uh, detailed the composition and appearance. It was sculpted with the wreath of an olive with olive sprays. The scepter was made from many metals with an eagle on the top. It had a robe made from glass with intricate designs. It held a statue of a crown Nike in its right hand, uh, or of, of Athena uh, Nike. And the throne was decorated with ebony, gold, ivory, and precious stones. Um. Pausanias noted it was constantly coated with olive oil to preserve it from the harsh conditions of the Altus. So that area must have been pretty marshy or, um, you know, rough for some of the structures, uh, obviously. Um, yeah, I never knew olive oil would protect, like, metal and stuff. Well, I guess it does, yeah. Well, even today, I mean, when you buy, like, a cutting board, you're supposed to, like, you know, wipe it down in olive oil and not really... Um, do too much in, to it. Same thing with like, but it's seeping. Like, um, uh, what you call it? Yeah, like some wood. I think it. Yeah, it just depends. But I mean, these people knew what they were doing for whatever the case may be uh, when they were building these things. So, yeah, it sounds like they put some serious precious stone into it as well. It, absolutely. Yeah, this one would have been. It was probably, worth quite a bit of money. Probably one of the better ones to look at. Um. Phidias's inspiration for this amazing creation was book one of Homer's Iliad. Uh, the reason or circumstances for its descri- uh, destruction is unknown, although there is some speculation that it was taken to Constantinople and then later destroyed in a fire. Um, so, and this is after Xerxes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm just gonna keep saying I think Xerxes did. No, 435 BC is this. So Xerxes was 480 BC. Okay. So some, you know, 55, 60 years later. Yeah, I always can get confused because the, t- the numbers go backwards. We know. We I'm know. very, I'm very slow. No, I think you've got dyslexia though. <laughs> that may be the case. So here's an artist's rendering of the statue of Zeus. Look at. It looks like it's, yeah, that's, that looks pretty decent. But then you look at how tall people are compared to it. It's just enormous. Um, let's see here. Here's another one. 
I like the last one better. I feel like that's probably more aligned with maybe what it would have looked like. This one looks like more open air kind of a look to it. Um, yeah, it's incredible. That's some serious artistic chops this to pull one, that off. This rendering almost reminds me of like the Lincoln Monument or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I was exactly what I was thinking. So pretty much all of America has just been ripped off. Oh, yeah. Have you seen the building constructions in D.C.? It's all like Roman and, and uh, Greek architecture. Yeah, there's for sure Egyptian obelisks. I mean, we've got it all from the ancient world. Um, Let's move on here. Oh, here's another more realistic um, rendering. This is an actual picture of a recreation uh, somebody had sculpted. So pretty interesting. This one doesn't have all the jewels and suggested all the stuff, but it looks like, you know, ivory and gold. So, Do you know how they, they would, like, protect these things? You would think there'd be thefts that would just... Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, that... Did you see how the size of that? I mean... Yeah. I mean, I'd roll up with a little pickaxe, chip off some stone, and head out. I'm sure people would get the crap beat out of them <laughs> if they tried that, but, I mean, who knows. And then you have that... Uh, that one guy burning down temples, Herostratus, that guy that just wanted fame. So, I mean, there are people that did stupid stuff back in the day, but mm-hmm. I don't think it was the same thing as how it is now where people steal things because, like, if you stole money or jewels or whatever in modern day, you could then go use it for whatever you wanted. Back then, I think you would probably have to find the right person. I don't think if you went to some guy that lives in the middle um you know, grow out of the middle of nowhere, growing stuff, and you needed food. What's he going to do with a jewel? I, you know, right. I, I don't know. Uh, all right, next, moving on, we've got the mausoleum at Halicarnassus in Turkey. Uh, the ma- uh, mausoleum at uh, Halicarnassus was a tomb built between 350 and 353 BC. Uh, it was built for uh, Masolus, who was a governor for the Archimedes or First Persian Empire. Um, it was built by the Greek architects Pythias, Preen, and uh, Satyros. So Pythias, we mentioned, I think, on the last episode too. He built the um, the temple at Preen. He was one of the better uh, architects in the, in the ancient Greek world. Um, I don't know. Yeah, much they about, built this in three years. That's pretty. I, I don't know much about Satyros though, but um, um. This this one's pretty interesting, I think, in terms of like the relief carvings and all that. Um, it was elevated. It was an elevated tomb structure. It stood 148 feet tall. All four sides have been sculpted um, with with reliefs, or they had sculpt uh, sculptors come in and, and you know sculpt reliefs for the temple. Uh, Halicarnassus was the capital of the kingdom of Caria, or Caria. Uh, it was located in the southwest region of modern-day Turkey. So if you remember the last episode when we talked about Delos as being the sacred ancient site in Greece, Delos was uh, supposedly initially inhabited by the Carians, and I believe that they eventually like got, got rid of them. I don't know if they killed them or shipped them off or what they did with them, um, but there's the connection with that. And um, let's see here. It was believed that the uh, that Ma- the Masolus uh, or the um, 
I'm sorry, the uh, mausoleum. I don't know why I put mausoleum. The mausoleum started construction leading. Uh, wait, what did I? Oh, okay. So Mausolus, who had the temple built, started building the temple, and then slowly over time, as it progressed, I think he died while it was being built. So he built before he could see it being finished, if I'm not mistaken. So he uh, built the mausoleum that he died before he even could use. Well, but that's what it was for. So when he died, it wasn't finished yet, but when it was, yeah, that's his tomb or temple or whatever. Many sculptors uh, from uh, Greece and the region were commissioned to sculpt the reliefs uh, for the mausoleum. Let me pull up a picture here. So when they hire people for this, what do they do? Do they pay them? Do they give them food? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't know specifically, but yeah, they're for sure getting compensation. I believe they're right. But paid. what's the compensation? The compensation's being paid. I mean, whatever that is. I mean, if you're, I don't know, I don't know enough about like currency back then. That's not I'm more interested in these structures and buildings and stuff than I am the actual. Um, somebody's yeah, getting a, hear, yeah. somebody's getting a loaf of bread or a coin or something. Well, that's why I'm I'm just curious. Did they get a diamond? Did they get some gold bars? They, they got they something. Food? You don't. You don't put out that kind of skill or whatever and not get anything in return. They were probably either treated like gods or, you know, who knows. Well, that's like the biggest misconception, I think, with the Egyptian stuff is everybody think they were thought they were slaves. But the more we uncover, the more, the more it looks like that they were being compensated either with housing, food, during those, those dry spells. Yeah. Here's a description or a diagram of the mausoleum. Uh, it's broken down into the parts, as you can see. It's got some ion, got um, an ionic capitals in there. They've got uh, it's a beautiful, looks like an elevated tomb, exactly right. what it's supposed to be. Um, and we still use this stuff today, so people can kind of envision yeah, what it use, is. We still use the the three classical Greek orders, less usually of the Doric, more of the Corinthian and the Ionic. But yeah, we're still using this stuff today. Same thing with the the Tuscan orders. Moving on. Here's a statue from the mausoleum of a lion. And here's a statue of a horse. They're still actually pretty well preserved. Beautiful. That lion, yeah, that kind of looks <clears throat> like a lion. But the horse, now that looks like a horse. Yeah. Whoever sculpted that thing did a great job. Do you know what kind of stone that's con made out of? I don't know. I would assume either... Eh, I don't even want to speculate. I don't know. <laughs> it it, it kind of looks like... It kind of looks like... Lion, or it could be... It's probably marble. I mean, they used marble for... Let me see if for, I can find some stuff yeah. here. But marble's quite valuable, is it not? Well, yeah, but it's all over Greece. So that's why they used it. Like, it, you use what, what you're what's in your region, right? Right. The Egyptians used, you know, white limestone from Torah because that's what they had. With this stuff, I mean, you use what's around you. So in Greece, they've got a lot of... That's why a lot of the best masons in terms of, like, marble and granite and that kind of stuff are Italian and Greek because that's where it all is. It says limestone, marble... Wood, bronze. So yeah, they probably did use a lot of that marble. Right. I love marble. Yeah. 
And here's a relief from there depicting the Amazonians. So the Amazonians were a group of women warriors that used to battle the Greeks. They were supposedly these tough, larger, massive women that used to just destroy. Um, I forget their roots. I, th I don't know if they're uh, Thracian or something like that. Uh, but yeah, there's, they've been referred to a few times um, in ancient texts revolving um, all the, all these topics and these, these but do they come from the Amazon? No, that's just what they were called. Oh, wow. I've always thought they were from, from the Amazon. How would, I mean, look, we've talked many times on this podcast about possibility of ancient people getting around more with boats and stuff like that. Right. But in no way were people <laughs> yeah, there's a, that's floating a ships gap. from, from the Amazon to ancient Greece. I just don't, I'm not saying it's not possible. I just, that's not, if, if these large Amazonian women are coming to destroy stuff, they're coming from somewhere roughly in the region. Again, do, I do think, we know anything about were they darker skinned or? Because I always think Amazon, I you know the Amazonian, I almost think like the the Black Panther community. No, like that. I mean, just look it up. I I don't. I'm um I'm pretty sure they were middle not Middle Eastern, maybe Siberian. Um, they could have been like uh, not Mongolian, but siberian type i don't know look it up just look up the Amaz ancient amazonians yeah most of these pictures are well a lot of stuff for wonder woman comes up but that secret society that that movie is based on might be more of that location too again i so. thought there were women that were part of like the thracians but i could be wrong Uh, so <clears throat> while you look that up, we'll move on to the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus in Greece. The temple was built uh, around eight, 800 BC. It was completely rebuilt after the flood in the 7th century BC, uh, and an act of arson in 356 BC by the guy I mentioned before, Her uh, Herostratus, um, who wanted fame, so that was his claim to fame, was burning down, uh, the temple however they made a law after that trying to squash this kind of behavior saying don't ever speak of this person's name obviously it didn't work because we're still talking about this guy so this that hush rule never really worked out for him too well the city was destroyed by the goths in 263 bc uh it was rebuilt a third time and survived 600 years later until the christians destroyed it uh, and some of the stones were used for other buildings it was once part of the Greek Empire, but it is located on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. So go, even going all the way back to our pre-Socratic uh, episode of Ancient Greece, which was the first part in the series that we're doing on Ancient Greece, we learned about, obviously, uh, the Ionian you know, coast and Ionian physics and all. Basically, Greece wasn't just part of Greece. You had Greece extended all the way from Italy, you know, they, even further than that. I mean, there's Greek temples in um, Cyrene, Libya, so like North Africa, over to uh, Italy, all the way over to Turkey. So, I mean, it was a pretty big territory that the Greeks had for a while. Um, so when people think about ancient Greece, they think specifically about like the Acropolis and Athens and stuff like that. But um, the Greek empire, you know, was pretty spread out and 
that region of Anatolia or Western Turkey was a pretty important region. Yeah, we'll leave some links in the description to those previous episodes. I also wanted to remind people to smash that like button and subscribe. So, did you find anything on the Amazonians, or did you give up? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It says big, strong woman, woman warriors, mythical Greek women warriors. So, so are they I don't considered? Know. They're considered mythical, then, like almost like the Titans or something like that. That's the, that's like the first response that popped up on Google was they were myth- I mean, mythical Greek women warriors. I think they're real based on what I read, but I just don't remember. And I'm not saying that there was anything supernatural, but they could have just been tough women warriors. And a lot of stuff comes up about Wonder Woman, so I'm thinking that. I mean, even have the, you seen Wonder Woman? No, I have not. Because there's like a she, like where she comes from is like all women warriors. I mean, what's I that? can't remember. Even what's the in Futurama? Have you do you, have you seen Futurama? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it in a while though. You know when they go to the planet where it's all like massive women that like the women like <laughs> yeah. t- torture, beat them, and rape them all of them like uh, Jesus. That's what they do. That's they. Um, I think Fry gets annihilated by these women. So, <laughs> um, but so let's move on. Here is a artist rendering of the Temple of um, Artemis. Now, a lot of these, obviously, these are artist renderings, depictions, drawings, all that. Because the only seven wonder that, or of the ancient world that's left standing is the Great Pyramid of Giza. So uh-huh. there, you're not going to, there might be some ruins on some of these, but you're not going to get, you know, tons of archaeological evidence. It's usually second, third-hand accounts, that kind of a thing. Which is for a lot of the stuff that we study. You never really know, but you got to take it for, for what it is. Right. I mean, if somebody like uh, Pausanias or somebody like, um, I don't even know, Herodotus, somebody like that's mentioning these things, there's probably something to it. It might not be right. 100% factual, but they've definitely looked into it or had enough accounts to write about it in their, their work. So. They also write about Atlantis, though, so... They do. Well. They reference it. Here's the floor plan of the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. I like these floor plans because it does give you some idea. Obviously, the Greeks were huge into using the... uh, uh, the different orders. Chambers. Well, the three classical orders. But then... Even deeper, they implement a lot of the the golden ratio and a lot of mathematics. I mean, the Greeks were huge at geometry and mathematics, so you get to see, even though some of it looks pretty primitive and basic, it's it's very. Um, it's harder than it than it looks. Well, it's very sound though too, so that's why you still have a lot of these temple pillars standing to this day, is because it might not be the same thing as the Great Pyramid, where the Great Pyramid's still standing in all its glory. Number one, the Great Pyramid's huge. Number two, um, you look at the size of the blocks, and then you look at the size of some of these pillars, and you can see why that something like that, it takes a while to erode away. So Now, what kind of stone was used in the pre- the pyramids? <clears throat> limestone from Tura, or Torah. Okay. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe that limestone can just withstand 
greater impacts. It's different. The the climate's different in Greece too. The, That's true it's too. Very. I'm sure there's a lot more uh, wind and water erosion, salt erosion. A lot of these. Yeah, are being on the coast, you're gonna have all a lot kinds of these of are weather. island. Yeah, a lot of islands, a lot of coastal uh, frontage, and then. In ancient Egypt, you've just pretty much got wind in that region. I mean, it's not raining a ton. It's not, um, I would say the biggest threats to like that region or the, the Middle East or archaeological sites or even like Gobekli Tepe and that kind of stuff. The biggest threat to those, those areas, I think personally, is modern day terrorism. And you see what they did. I was going to say human. You see what they did to Syria, some of the Syrian sites and stuff like that. I watched, um, a documentary last night on the hanging gardens of Babylon and where they might be in another part of Iraq and the lady that, um, well, we'll talk about that, that I'll bring that up more, but it's so do you think, do you think the guy that runs Egypt is, uh, is in the right by keeping all that stuff classified or because of the terrorism? I, I know he doesn't like people going into the, the pyramids and excavating classified? them. What's that? I said, what do you mean classified? Like it's not, it's not some who... bro, it's not some like government UFO program. They're they're it's it's they allow access or they don't allow access. The way that I've understood it is if you pay people there enough, you can get into places. It's it's that it's that simple. So if you want, isn't get... there tons of stuff that hasn't been excavated? That's what I'm saying. Excavated? I don't know. Ex- excavated. Um. Yeah, there's but there's a ton of places that just haven't been found either. They they just don't know where they are. It's just covered in sand, or it's in different parts of the complex, the Giza complex, or it's not even on the Giza complex. It's um could be somewhere else. You know, our, Mar- our Marna is not even near where all the other stuff was going on. So, uh, let's see here. Here's a figurine of the Lady of Ephesus, which would be Artemis. I wonder if Frank from Always Sunny got that name Artemis. <laughs> uh, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, Iraq. Um, so this one's kind of controversial in terms of there's it's got the least amount of evidence and the least amount of um, uh, records pertaining to history. But the Hanging Gardens of Babylon may have been built by King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon, uh, it was believed that he built it for his wife, uh, Queen Amethyst, who was from uh, Mendi or Medes, or she was Median, I believe, which was a great uh, green and lush area, and he wanted to make her feel at home, so that's why he built the gardens. Um, there is no evidence or hard ar- archaeological evidence or proof that it ever existed, but there are some historical records of descriptions, one being from Josephus and another one being from uh, Diodorus of Sicily. Um, they recorded accounts which differ in certain ways, but they describe a gallery 50 cubits high with 22 foot thick walls. Um, and it was like tiered, kind of if you see, I'll pull up a picture in a minute, but the garden was tiered almost like uh, large steps uh, or even if you thought of like the step pyramid, that kind of a thing. Uh, it was written that the garden was irrigated by the Euphrates River. Okay, so that's what some people have been taught, or that's kind of like what the popular thinking of this is. And as I mentioned last night, I was watching this documentary. Um, 
and this archaeologist lady, I think her name is uh, Stephanie Daly, I believe. And she's like one of the few people that can read cuneiform uh, fluently. And her theory is that they have the wrong city and the wrong king for the Hanging Gardens of Babylon because they found the they found well they found tablets with cuneiform but they also found an aqueduct that has the cuneiform writing on it um but again this is uh, a whole different site whole different um whole different king all that when she in the documentary she can't really get to the one site that she wants to because of terrorism it's like one of the most dangerous places in the world where she was at so um again the, the biggest threat to modern day archaeology and getting to some of these answers is obviously things have been ruined by fires and earthquakes and stuff like that but um, you don't really think about it but terrorism can affect this stuff as well uh, there are other accounts and new research that suggest the real hanging gardens um, were actually located in uh, Nineveh or Nineveh I don't know how you pronounce that uh, and it's in northern Iraq so Babylon's more towards southern Iraq or the middle of southern Iraq. This is more northern. Uh, okay. And uh, they were built by the Syrian king uh, uh, Sennacherib or Sennacherib from roughly 704 to 781 BC. Um, the garden is to believe, to, based on the accounts and the writings and everything. It had rosewood, ebony, tamarisk, fig, grape, pomegranate, pear, pine, cypress, juniper, olive, and almond trees. Uh, the almond trees one's very interesting because if anybody knows anything about almond trees, is they they take up they need a ton of water, like a ton. I don't know how much, but it's a lot. Um, yeah. It might be a Noah's Ark and Epic of Gilgamesh scenario, meaning that there's some biblical or religious references to the hanging gardens and stuff like that uh but the true story might have been this previous or you know assyrian when you think of uh, gilgamesh the obviously the sumerians uh were precursors to like christianity and stuff like that so there's some that speculate that possibly the epic of gilgamesh was or the no or the um the story of Noah's Ark was taken from the Epic of Gilgamesh. This might be a similar scenario um, in the sense that we all think about this Nebuchadnezzar, the second building it for his wife and this great story, and he loved her and he wanted to make her feel at home. But in reality, uh, King Sennacherib, or Sennacherib, uh, left archaeological evidence behind, as we do, we have the story of the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, and he has he built a huge aqueduct, and uh, there's sculpture panels detailing his water engineering skills. He mentions in these uh, writings that uh, here's a line from it. It's uh, wonder for all people. This was found, and, and that was found on the aqueduct. And then Sennacherib, king of the world, king of Assyria, over the oh, over a great distance, I had a water course directed to the environs of Nineveh, joining together the waters. Over sides or over steep stepped valleys, I spanned an aqueduct of white limestone blocks. I made those waters flow over it. So, so this mean, happened after the Noah's Ark. I was just that was just a reference point, pointing out how sometimes stories 
it's like a game of telephone where the real story might not be what you think it is. That I was just using right. that as the platform for that. This has nothing to do with Noah's Ark or the Epic of Gilgamesh. Well, I'm just saying feasibly that little passage sounds like no, no, no. There was tons of water, and this guy built some aqueducts. No. To... Yeah, the, there was a river, and he diverged it to create this garden, is what this is right. saying. So like an aqueduct is a massive structure, but it's not that massive. It's, it was to just channel the water towards where he needed it to to, to grow this awesome garden. Uh, but yeah, I was just referring to Noah's Ark and the Epic of Gilgamesh in context of how things can get skewed, stories that there's hard archaeological evidence for the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, and there's less evidence for the for Noah's Ark in terms of what we have today. So I was just They find boats on mountains sometimes. Yeah, they do, but has anybody ever come out and said we for sure found it? I've seen like ten reports in the last ten years saying, Oh, we found Noah's Ark and then they can't the one guy had a theory that the the wood from Noah's Ark turned to stone. I mean I don't Wood can petrify. Yeah, over like millions of years. Well, but so it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting theory, and I, I do think that this lady's onto something. Uh, this archaeologist, I think she's from Oxford, but I mean, since she has the ability to translate all this stuff, you've got an advantage when you can read some ancient writing that not that many people can read fluently. So yeah, but then you have the whole concept of. Are these words meaning the same as they are today? Well, no. I mean, you, I'm sure there's still, still some level of interpretation, obviously, but um, exactly. This would make sense, though, and she thinks that she. It's the whole area has been changed a lot. Obviously, there's been a lot that's happened, uh, new developments, and people growing stuff, and irrigation, and farming, and stuff like that. Uh, but she had an idea of where it could be, but there was no, the end of the, the movie or documentary didn't yield any full results other than the aqueduct saying all this stuff. And actually, I mean, this guy mentions it, uh, a wonder for all people. This this guy created this garden, it's a wonder for all people. How is that? It should not be taken as maybe a wonder of the world. And this predates, I think, Nebuchadnezzar by 100 years. So I think Nebuchadnezzar was around 600 BC. This was 704 to 681. So maybe Nebuchadnezzar stole stole the idea, or maybe just people just associated with him. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So here's a depiction of what it might have looked like. Um, this it's like an been, ancient Vegas of some sort. <laughs> this would have been if it was located in. Uh, Babylon. So we just mentioned it might have been located in Nineveh or Nineveh. This would have been if it was located in Babylon. And on the left, you can see the Tower of Babel in the background, which was destroyed. Yeah. It's cool. It's quality art. Right. Here's a depiction. And the other thing is there's a picture. I'll, I'll pull it up the next one. It's a relief. Uh, somebody carved into like a tablet a picture of this garden and you can see why that maybe it was more likely that uh Sennacherib created this thing. See, this is the tablet. See that was the the white one there. That's kind of what this tablet somebody transposed it into uh 
a picture here. Nice. And the hanging gardens look look see it looks like it's they're on top of the aqueduct too. Yeah. Well, you hit it right on the head. You're gonna need ma mass amounts of water. Although we have no clue what it's like. It was like back then. You know how Egypt there was probably way more water around the well. We know there was way more water around the pyramids. Yeah, it just uh, it's one of those. That's why they call it a wonder of the world. You know. <laughs> but yeah, that. So I think that that's you've got pretty pretty hard proof there as where it was one of the ancient wonders where you had probably the least amount of proof and the the reason for that i think it's fair to point out this lady might have it right that they were looking at the wrong area and the wrong king altogether based on i mean the josephus and uh diodorus and all those other councils are second and third hand accounts those people didn't visit it themselves so yeah that's 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 awesome. Oh, it was the wrong king altogether. Yeah. Moving on, now we get to the lighthouse at Alexandria in Egypt. Um, obviously, Alexandria was built by Alexander the Great. Uh, the lighthouse at Alexandria, also known as the Pharos of um, Alexandria, after Alexander the Great's death, Ptolemy. Um, the first took over as king in 305 BC and commissioned the lighthouse. It wasn't finished until the reign of Ptolemy II, uh, who took over, and it took 12 years to finish. It cost a total of 800 talents of silver. So you were asking about compensation and stuff like that. They commissioned yeah. the lighthouse at Alexandria for 800 talents of silver. I don't know how much that is, but I'm sure it's a lot, or at least a lot for the time. It was built using solid limestone blocks. It had a large furnace at the top that produced the light. Some have suggested that the limestone would not have been strong enough and would have crumbled on itself. So others have su suggested that it may be have maybe have made uh, or been made out of pink granite that was quarried nearby. Um, and obviously, we know there's red granite in Aswan, um, which the Egyptians used. Uh, in, let's see here. It was over 300 feet tall. That's pretty tall. The square, That's a football field. The Let me do the math. Uh, everything, you've said football field 10 times. <laughs> I don't think you... That's how, that's how I measure stuff, bro. And that's how Americans measure stuff. Okay. <laughs> it's a land of, uh, it's a land of football. All right. The square base was roughly 98 by 98. At the top was said to be a large mirror that would reflect the sun during the day and the fire by night. However, if you watch videos on this, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of accounts that suggest that there was some sort of advanced technology for its time going on. I don't know what that would have been. This this mirror with the um, with you know ref reflecting the fire out there, or possibly just the sunlight. Um, yeah, that could be. I could see that being the case. But again, others have suggested there was some other contraption that they had up there that maybe was doing something that was pretty unusual for the time. And I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, you've got Alexander uh, the Great, you've got the Ptolemies, you've got all these great minds behind this area. I don't see why not, why there couldn't be some sort of advanced system or technology used to get light out there. Yeah, that's an intense task, though. You got to keep that thing flowing. Right. 
Uh, Pharos was an island uh, of the western edge of the Nile Delta. After Alexander the Great built Alexandria, the island was connected to the mainland by almost a mile-long causeway or um, heptastadium. In 1968, part of the lighthouse was discovered underwater. So here we do have some sort of archaeological discoveries um, revolving around this one. I think the Hanging Gardens one, if they end up finding that more of that site uh, that we were talking about before, I mean, that one might go from having no information to some of the most information on one of the ancient, besides the Great Pyramid, obviously it's still standing, but in terms of what we don't have access to anymore. Uh, but again, it's interesting when they can still find pieces of these structures. So here's a picture or a rendering of what it might have looked like. And it's similar to what you would picture maybe even today as a lighthouse minus this one's got more of a, a square base and more most lighthouses to today have, you know. Oh, I, the circular shape. Yeah. Not to get too off topic, have you seen that movie, The Lighthouse? No, is it good? It's pretty good. It creates a real ambience of... It's it's more about the feeling than the actual story. It seems story. like there's like a creepy element to it. There is, but it's... Yeah, it's definitely worth a view. I would recommend it. I also wanted to to, to jump in and say there's a lighthouse on Belle Isle in Detroit that's like super old. I think it was built... Right when they, uh, they, whatever they set up in Detroit, it was some kind of shipping zone. Right. Have you ever taken pictures there? No, I want to, though. I've just been kind of waiting for the right time to go out there, but yeah, it's a pretty sweet... There's actually two lighthouses on Belle Isle. One of them is super old and would be definitely a nice piece for my landscape collection. Yeah. Get her done. All right, moving on. Here's another uh, rendering of it. And lighthouses always have a mystical quality, too. I, when I was in Oregon, there was this lighthouse. Um, it was built... It was actually the first place, like, Lewis and Clark saw the ocean. Yeah. And then they, they're, they're the lighthouse that was built, it was like, at the time, it was the most expensive lighthouse ever built, but I would just sit up on this cliff and stare at the lighthouse and just think about all the boats over, you know, the, whatever, all the time that people have been sailing around the world, right. and how much adventure and what's just in the sea. I, I don't know. I To me, the lighthouse is a symbol of mystical... That's why I kind of like that movie more, because it's more of the feeling that the lighthouses provide, but that might just be me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's this idea, though, that there's it's like safety. Like, when if you're out there and you're, like, lost or something, it's this beacon of hope, or it's this beacon of, um, we're going to be all right. There's the lighthouse, you know, that kind of Right, thing. land ho, yeah, yeah, it's coming. So... All right, now we get to the final one, which is the one, the ancient wonder that is still standing and the ancient wonder uh, that is the oldest, which is crazy to think about that we just went through all those and the only one that's standing is also the oldest one, but it's also the most well-built one. And um, yeah, 
So I just wanted to ask one one question too: is how who determines these wonders? Do you know? I think these were just based on like word of mouth things from ancient times. Like, oh, somebody. I don't. That's a good question. Why don't you look that up right now? Actually, well, if anybody knows, please leave a comment because look up right now. Just type in who uh, came up with the seven ancient wonders of the world, or whose concept was the seven ancient wonders of the world. That that's a good question. I didn't even think about that when I was putting the slideshow together. Um, but it's pro it's based on the fact that people were in awe of these ancient structures. But yeah, I don't know who the one person was or if it was multiple. Oh, people. you'll love who it is. Who is it? Herodotus. Okay, that makes sense. He said he made an early list of the seven wonders. Okay. But the writings have not survived, except for reference. So again, when you get back this far, it's it, it's it's going to be word of mouth to some degree. So yeah, you're putting you're putting things together, you're putting this puzzle to back together where you don't actually know what was going on, and even when you put it together, it's still not might not make total sense. So all right, now now we get to the um, the main event here. And we'll go deep on this one because I already know a decent amount about it. And we've talked about the Great Pyramid of Giza and the pyramids and everything and ancient Egypt a ton on this show. But So the Great Pyramid of Giza is the largest and the oldest, again, as I mentioned. It is the only ancient wonder still standing because of the way that it was built, in my opinion. It was immaculate. Uh, the architect believed to... Uh, have built it was uh Hemiunu and he was Khufu's vizier or vizier a vizier was or a vizier was somebody that was like a confidant or like an assistant it was like the right hand man to the king and mm -hmm. some people might know that term from because there's speculation that king tut might have been murdered by his vizier and then the vizier mar married his sister so brutal um I think Bob Breer does a good job on that. Anybody that's curious about that, um, or Bob Breyer, Bob Breer, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, but he's a, he's a scholar that does a lot of work with mummies and stuff, and there's some speculation based on King Tut's skull that it might have been bashed in at some point. Jesus. So, uh, so yeah, Hemiunu might have been the architect and mainstream archaeologists insist that the tomb was built by and for Khufu of the fourth dynasty around four or 2560 BC, somewhere around there, 2550, 2560 BC, uh, which again, the academics put the range on how long it took between 10 and 20 years. People like Mark, uh, Leonard will say 10 years, and more reasonable people, I think, will say 20 years, but even more reasonable people will suggest longer than that. So, Yeah. I also wanted to point out, people think, oh, they're just triangles. How how advanced can that, you know, the floor plan be? But if you look inside, that's where the the real planning comes in. But also the Great Pyramid, um, yeah, okay, I was going to expound on that but we'll get to that in a minute mainstream archaeologists insist um that again it took 10 to 20 i just it, it's hard to fathom that it took that that this structure that's still standing to this day this massive structure 450 some feet tall uh 
took 10 to 20 years to build when I mean, that's just great. I, I, I mean, well, you think it's more or you think it's, I less? think it's more, but I also think that it's entirely possible that that could be true too. I'm not dismissing that, 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 that could be the case, but I'm just pointing well, the, the bottom line is we don't know how they did it. So, right. There's no exact, and we're going to go through that. We're going to go through the mainstream, um, uh, building, you know, techniques that they think, and then we'll go through some of the alternative theories as well. Um, so it was built with uh, roughly 2.3 million blocks. That's crazy. That's insane. And they were quarried from, from the site that I mentioned before, which is Tor, the Torah or Torah site. Uh, Torah is the, was the finest and the whitest limestone in all of Egypt. Uh, the, the quarry was used for many projects, not just the pyramid, uh, but it was also used for the, the bent pyramid and temples and a lot of the other structures. The red granite blocks weighing some 80 tons were quarried and transported by boat uh, some 500 miles down the, the Nile from Aswan uh, to Giza. So again, a lot of the red granite that was used was from Aswan. They had, a tr you know, they had these boats and they would take these blocks 500 miles downriver to uh, Giza, which is crazy. So, so 80 tons is roughly 160,000 pounds. Yeah, it's pretty massive. That's that's big. The exterior of the pyramid was once or um, adorned with casing stones that were made from the highly polished white limestone. So the pyramids used to look a little differently than they do now. Now we just see the exposed limestone blocks, but back then it had polished limestone, so it would have been smooth on the outside. And then at the top, there would have been a, um, a capstone, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, let's see here. The, oh, the casing stones were removed in the 19th century to build a mosque. So this thing was picked apart. These uh, idiots. Yeah, this thing was picked apart to build other structures. There was probably no context or care of, you know, whoever was ripping stuff off of there was probably thinking <laughs> these, these, these people are idiots. We don't care. Um, one of the mysteries is whether uh, there was the capstone, as I mentioned, and what it was made out of if there was. Um, if it was kept with the proportions of what's up there now. So if you look at the Great Pyramid now at the top, it's flat. Uh, right. And it's been pointed out. If you even look at our dollar bill, um, you'll see the flat pyramid, but then with the all-seeing eye of God and the littler pyramid that sits on top of it, it's a covering over it. Um, which is kind of interesting, but so there's speculation. Was there a capstone? If so, what was the capstone made out of? I've heard theories that it was made out of gold or that it was gold leaf or, um, possibly it was crystal or quartz or something along those lines. I've heard lots of different theories, uh, for it to be crystal though, that would, you'd have to find a massive crystal and then be able to, uh, cut that up in, in the right way, which maybe they were able to do. I don't know. Yeah. And it also depends on what they, what people believe that the pyramids were actually used for. Some think that they were but transistors and power but, plants and all kinds of crazy. Thoughts. Okay. So there's, there's an anecdote, an anecdotal theory with that, that maybe it was used as a machine. There was a guy that went to the top. I forget the whole story, but there was a guy that went to the top that told this, I don't know. There's an experiment you can do that will show you if something's 
producing electricity or not. And this guy had this uh, local guide guy stand up there and do this thing, and he got shocked and blown all the way back. Um, and then that guy thought there was some sort of witchcraft or something going on there. So uh, there are theories and there are anecdotal stories that talk about how the air around there is electric or there's some sort of um, static in the air, something along those lines. Um, So that is one of the theories. But if there was a capstone, the base of it would have been 30 30 feet, which is crazy. I mean, that would have been huge. Yeah, it's insane. 30 by 30 of you know, going up to a little pyramid point of whether it was gold or crystal. Could have just been more limestone, too. I mean, that's a possibility as well. <clears throat> Seems like a good spot for a conductor because I know when, uh, when the weather is super dry out, you can see those sparks coming off your hands when you, like, go into your dry, you know, you pull some clothes out of your dryer or whatever. Right, so right. maybe he went up there. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that stuff being I possible. wish I remember the and story. Yeah, I, I read it, like, a couple of years ago, and I, I forget the names and the exact but people can look it up there's enough on the internet about that well it doesn't need to be aliens or any of that stuff that's that was my point is some of these things are naturally occurring electricity in the air we've seen lightning before so why not build a device that could maybe capture that i don't know right no you're right and you're also right i don't we'll mention it and we'll mention it again while we do believe in obviously there's ufo phenomenon going on out there there are pilots and government programs dedicated to all this stuff so we definitely believe that kind of stuff's happening i just don't i can't get behind or believe that aliens built any of the structures on earth i just don't think it happened so i'm pretty sure it didn't happen why would you fly here from a different dimension or a different galaxy or halfway across the universe and then build some crude, you know, stone structure. And then it's not crude to us. It's very advanced for its time. But if you were coming all that way and you had some sort of spaceship or portal or something, you you get what I'm saying. Well, how how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Did, pe- did these creatures fly here and then share DNA? That's No, there's lots of I'm just making the point into. that if you're that technologically advanced, then you have no business even messing with limestone is my point. True. So that's all I was getting at. All right. So uh, let's see here. Where did I leave off? Okay. Yeah. So we were talking about the capstone, what it was made out of. And so for that to be stolen, though, because there's something that maybe that was looted, everybody would have to be dead or nobody occupying that area or something like that. Because 30 by 30 of a massive. Who knows how heavy it would have been. And then to carry it down the pyramid, that's pretty much impossible in my opinion. You're not doing that in the cover of night, and that's just what it is. Accounts from travelers and historians dating all the way back to the time of Christ have noticed the lack of the capstone. So this isn't something newer either. There's, it's been noticed since almost probably before Christ that there was no capstone there. So. Now we're going to get to some of the meat and potatoes of this little uh, thing here. In 1837, British Egyptologist Howard Weiss blew a hole in the side uh, of the stress-relieving chamber of the King's Chamber. Uh, He used um, gunpowder to 
blow holes in the pyramid, which now you think that that's crazy. But back then, uh, there was no real... People didn't get in there. Um, I think there was somebody else in more recent times that used a battering ram. That is why you'll see on one of the sides of the pyramid that there's like a... uh, It looks like it was bashed in a little bit. So before they blew holes in it, there was no way to get inside? Right. But maybe people did. Maybe looters knew a way, or maybe it was covered up more ancient times than now, but still not all the way back then. Who knows? Tunnels, we don't know. We'll, we'll pull up the... I'll pull up a diagram in a couple minutes showing the interior chambers and passageways. So Okay. Uh... So yeah, they blew a hole in the side. He found Khufu's cartouche on the south ceiling of Campbell's chamber. The description read, uh, Companions of Khufu. There is a debate to this day of the validity of these accounts, since Vice seemed to be not a virtuous and trustworthy man, and he took his partner Giovanni Caviglia's uh, speculations about whether there was another chamber above the Davison chamber. Um, these So... He was doing this excavations with this guy, Caviglia, Giovanni. And according to Vice, Giovanni just gave up. And then he's like, I'm done with this, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not how Giovanni saw it. And Giovanni wrote letters saying that um, basically Vice took his ideas and then had him kicked off of or kicked out of Giza. So he wasn't even able to be there anymore. Um, and then took all the, you know, they ended up finding four chambers, I believe, took all the glory for himself, and then Vice named the chambers after some friends and colleagues and stuff like that. So it depends on who you believe, but... Yeah, it's not implausible. I can see that happening. <clears throat> well, of course, think about the ego involved with, even now, some of these modern archaeologists. You look at, like, Zahi Hoas and all these, the ego on these people is just insane. And, um, yeah, the ego comes before the human, uh, the human knowledge. That's, that's a shame. Right. Um, but, and it's just, these people want the glory for themselves or they want to be the the top dog. Now it could go either way. Maybe vice didn't do that. Maybe, uh, Caviglia, um, did leave on his own. I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't really speak, but based on, um, Caviglia's letters and all that you could say oh maybe he was just a man that was you know he got screwed over and he's just pissed and he's bitter and that's why but I don't know I think that there's a lot of weirdness and there's even some speculation that Vice might have created the cartouches himself or the graffiti uh, because it would have been beneficial because he was running I am in money uh, so maybe that would have been you know, to his advantage to do that kind of a thing. Again, I wasn't there. I don't know. I can only speculate. And that's, but this is this whole story of how they found these cartouches and the graffiti and stuff on the inside of the pyramid is what we know or how we know that Khufu built the Great Pyramid. So, all this information that came from just this one guy, Howard Weiss, from his getting in there and doing all the, you know, digging around and looking in the different chambers is pretty much how we know what we know about the Great Pyramid in terms of who built it, what dynasty, what was the the range and all this stuff. And supposedly he had sent back, 
the cartouches. He had his assistant draw or copy what was on there, and they sent it back. And then somebody else, some historian back in Britain, aligned it with, oh, this is Khufu of this dynasty. So that's how they did that. Um, We're pretty confident that's uh, that's true. What's true? That uh, Khufu was the one who built them all. That's what... There's... There's some say that there's no, there's, you can't really deny it based on the proof. As far as okay. I'm concerned, everything rests on this guy's account, though, Howard Weiss. So it depends on who Howard Weiss was and what his intentions were. Now, you would like to think that he had great intentions, but again, we're human beings. We're flawed. We have cognitive bias. We have confirmation bias. We have. Um, we're turds. That's... We, we we are turds. I mean, he was a mi- <laughs> he was a military man too, so he probably um he I, I think he was in the British military. I, he had probably a different perspective too than let's say a normal archaeologist. He's seen a lot more shit. So who knows? And I don't know. I don't know which which way to go on this one. All I can do is just put the information out there and let you guys decide for yourselves what you think happened. There's people that are adamant in the alternative community that this dating is wrong and that Khufu, again, I mentioned that maybe Vice had some hand in mixing things up, but then there's also speculation that Khufu could have just came along, found the pyramid, it had no cartouches or writing or anything, and then yeah. he just he just left his repurposed sta- them. Yeah. He just left his stamp on it. So that there's that speculation as well, which that's not out of the realm of possibility either. If you think about it, right? Well, that's one of the bigger theories is that all these these uh, landmarks are just being built upon, built upon. So well, we talked about in the, all the Greek stuff. All the Greeks they took an older sacred site or an older open air temple or whatever. Then they built a real structure on it, and then if that got knocked down, they built a bigger structure on it. Um, exactly. In ancient Egypt, I don't, again, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they could have, the pyramid could have been a little bit older, maybe a lot older, I don't know, but it could have been older. And just like when you buy a new house, you remodel it, you add your own touches to it, that kind of a thing. So, good point. Mainstream archaeologists would suggest that there's, um, a historical timeline that shows the evolution of the building uh till it gets to that point i could see their point too again i don't i'm not until something comes out that's like really might like for sure you just got to look at the facts and kind of take them for what they're worth and speculation speculation hard evidence is hard evidence you use use what you want to come up with whatever theory you want but at the end of the day, we can just put the information out there and let people decide for themselves. Right. You can use your brain power to keep going to question everything because again, I try, when it, I try and keep an open mind and I know you do too. Um, but that, that's all you can do with these things. So, uh, okay. So another piece of evidence that would corroborate all of this was found recently ish, I believe. Oh yeah. Um, so it was the diary of Mirror, and it was written, uh, written roughly 4,500 years ago. It is one of the oldest papyri containing text. It was found in a cave in 2013 by French archeologists. The texts were written with hieroglyphs and hieratic hieratics, like Egyptian cursive Mirror uh, was a middle ranking official 
who detailed his accounts by transporting 200 two or yeah 200 two to three ton blocks over a period of a month so that was his like every i think 10 days he would move a certain amount that would total 200 two to three ton blocks a month uh he oversaw a few trips yeah every 10 days from tura to giza uh he had roughly 40 men working under him and they would they would move these blocks from Tura, as I mentioned before, which is the white limestone quarry, all the way to Giza. Um, and this all supposedly happened uh, during Khufu's 26th year as pharaoh. So here we have an actual papyrus um, written by somebody that was working. And it doesn't mention that these blocks were for the Great Pyramid. It doesn't mention that these blocks... Um, or for anything specific, it just mentions that that's what this guy was doing at the time. So, what what was he doing with the blocks? I would suggest that maybe they were going towards the pyramid because that's two to three ton blocks is what the pyramid is made out of. So you could make that connection. Um, but yeah, it's crazy that that was only that was found what five years ago, six years ago. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the mainstream building theories. And the Greeks were the first to speculate that slave labor was used to build the Great Pyramid. Um, this is an idea that a lot of public, a lot of the public, still I believe, reject that, Michael. A lot of the public still believes that theory to this day. So even though within Egypt, the Egyptologist circles and the archaeology circles and all these circles, there's a little bit more information to suggest that there wasn't slave labor. There's most people out there would that's the picture that they have in their head from all these pictures. Well, that's what we were taught in school. It, taught in know? school, the pictures and diagrams, you on the internet, even like a lot of the thumbnails for like other YouTube videos, it shows what looks like people whipping other people, like dragging large blocks. <laughs> so it's like, what do you, you update your stuff? You know, like right. update for the times here. We know that that's, you know, probably not the case. So, and how do you get, you can't have that large of a workforce. You would need more people to keep that many people in line, I think. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't force 100,000 people. There would be an uprising before yeah. the, the end goal was accomplished. Yeah. You would need Just so Just think about how people are in any society. And you'd need you look at far more soldiers to keep all those people in line. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't know. Um, okay. So, yeah, the Greeks were the, were the ones behind the that idea which they have a lot of good ideas that was not one of them no uh bob breer bob breyer is um in his great courses lecture talks about how he believes that thousands of skilled tradesmen who could not farm when the nile like the niles uh would flood and then all these farmers and people growing stuff couldn't do that so those tradesmen would leave and then go work on the great pyramid during that season the rainy season or the wet season uh, Werner theorized that there were two gangs of 100,000 men divided into five groups of 20,000 and then maybe broken down even more into smaller groups. And then John Romer thought it would um, it should have taken roughly 14 years to build. So again, well, that's you, right in the middle. Yeah. You ha yeah, you have mainstream people that will argue between usually 10 and 20 years. Um, Mark Leonard and some other archaeologists or Egyptologists conducted a modern construction study 
which claims 14,000 men on average worked on it, uh, with there being as many as 40,000 at its peak. The study says that Egyptians used critical path analysis since they did not have wheels, pulleys, or iron tools, and this supposedly took uh, 10 years. So he's on the very... Um, yeah, that's the opposite. Yeah, he's not concerned. Way less man, way less manpower, and, he's and the way first faster person, build time. He was the first person to attack <clears throat> Dr. Robert Shock too on ah! on the Sphinx stuff. Um, yet he's coming up with some insane timeline that I don't even know. That's past ten years. I mean, twenty years seems crazy that it was built in, but ten years is I don't know. 20 years is a long time, but I, I just don't know how they're moving those. What, what are, we, are we saying? Some of that stuff was 180,000 pounds. Like. Yeah. Um, there, okay, so there's the external ramp theory, which is the idea that there was a ramp kind of built along the side of it, which is that's how they would walk up the stones. Um, you see, again. I'm sure people have seen pictures yeah, of that. Yeah, there's that's a lot of pictures and diagrams showing that. Um, uh, so, and then there's the internal ramp theory, which was put forth by Jean-Pierre Houdin or Houdin. Uh, he spent a lot of time on the research using 3d modeling structures. Uh, there are some holes in theory, uh, according to Bob Breyer, but some interesting things have come out of it. There was a special on, I think it was either the history channel or, uh, the history channel or the, um, Discovery Channel, I can't remember which one, where they talked about this in great detail. So now we get to the alternative theories. So these would be some of the more speculative and suggestive theories based on some other researchers. This is a lot of stuff that we focus on on our channel because I think there is some vali- the fun stuff. There's validity to some of it. Obviously, there's alternative theories that. Will, won't make sense to some people or that don't make sense and there's some that are even more out there but um i try and pick the ones that have some substance or evidence to them so uh there's a growing number or a growing community of researchers and academics that suggest that the great pyramid and the sphinx are possibly older than the suggested dating and possibly had an uh, unknown purpose um, some of these alternative researchers are john anthony west r.i.p Robert Bavall, Graham Hancock, Dr. Robert Schock, Chris Dunn, Randall Carlson, Laird Scranton, uh, Laird Scranton, and then there's obviously others. Uh, some of these theories correlate to the Younger Dryas Impact Theory, which was a cataclysmic event roughly tw- uh, 12,800 years ago involving an asteroid or a comet. There was even just a new report released yesterday, I think, having to do with um, uh, Syria and some destroyed site or something like that i haven't read the article yet but i'm gonna read that later i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that in that driest impact event actually happened yeah well something happened but what exactly happened i think is that's what they're still trying to figure out with all the uh, evidence and stuff so um uh so oh yeah so the the impact theory so yeah roughly twelve thousand eight hundred years ago um, and then Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson, and George Howard, who we've had George Howard on the show before uh, and discussed the Younger Dryas, are huge proponents of the, uh, the hypothesis, and they've done a great job getting it out there, making the public aware of it. As you've seen, um, 
Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock on Joe Rogan. People love the Younger Dryas episodes on there. So I think that's big. And then you've got all the books and all the research. So I yeah, think, getting it into the uh, the younger kids' heads. Well, it, it's not even that. It's not like you're not trying to put ideas in people's heads. What you're trying to do is just, again, what we do on this this podcast, just put information out there and let people decide. But you want to put all the information out there. You don't want to put one side of the story or one idea, or even if it's there's a, per, a smaller percentage chance of it being true, you still got to get it out there because there's somebody looking into it. Maybe there's fresh eyes on it. They might have a piece of information or they might know something, something along those lines. Well, we know Americans have that sheep mentality, so it's right. good to give them all the options instead of beating down one theory of people getting whipped, right? dragging blocks. Uh, Dr. Shock and Anthony Parrott have done research regarding the plasma discharge uh, theory in ancient times that would correlate to um, some of the ancient petroglyphs and symbolism that you see. Uh, if you're interested in that, the, the plasma discharge and the solar-induced dark age and all that, go to our episode uh, Easter Island Part 2 Alternative Theories. We go in depth and show all the petroglyphs and we uh, go deep on that one. We'll do another video. I think we're going to start making these short videos too, which I forgot to mention, but we're going to release a short video on the origins of ancient Greece here today. It'll be the first one of this series and we're just going to start making shorter movies, usually probably five to ten minutes long on some of these subjects that we cover because there's just some people that don't have an hour or two to waste on this kind of stuff. So we get it. Well, it'll give, it gives you a little taste, and then if you want to dig deeper, you can uh, right. watch one of the hour-long episodes. Also, I'm a, I like to see visuals to learn. Right. I need, I need those pictures sometimes, so that, that definitely does help. But For sure. So, and then, so the discharge, the plasma discharge also would have been cataclysmic. So this would have fit in with the timeline with the Younger Dryas. This is just an alternative theory to the alternative theory of the impact theory. So uh, the discharge would have been cata cataclysmic. Um, it would have pushed civilization to the brink, which Shock uh, calls the solar-induced dark age or Siddha. It also may explain why some of the ancient gods are depicted with animal heads and designs. Um, and some of the petroglyphs have a specific... Um, shape almost like a stick figure with two circles on each side which is found all over the world uh, usually zoomorphism and therianthropy um, are used to describe the ancient uh, an uh, animal headed gods so mainstream would say oh these would these are people just partaking in zoomorphism or these therianthropy or whatever these ideas are of, of animal-headed gods or morphing into animals, something along those lines. Um, while if you look at the picture from the plasma discharges from some of the tests that they did, Anthony Parrott, it does look like a bird sitting on top of a head. It looks like some of these depictions that you see. They're not exact, but maybe that was the inspiration for it. I don't know. Again, go back to our Easter Island alternative episode, and I have a bunch of pictures on that. Baval and Hancock have made connections between the alignment of Orion's belt and the three pyramids of Giza dating back to roughly 10,500 BC. Uh, the Orion constellation was associated with Osiris and the idea of rebirth and the afterlife. Um, so Baval and Hancock, and, and even if you look at like fingerprints of the gods and magicians of the gods, it's a lot of about star alignments and 
these megalithic structures. So yes, Baval and Hancock's theory is that possibly that the pyramids were ten, you know, twelve thousand some years old, ten thousand five hundred BC, which would have aligned them with Orion's belt, but with, would also at the same time that would have had the Sphinx aligning with uh, the constellation Leo. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of those theories. Um, and obviously the Egyptians had a fascination with death and the afterlife. So this idea of associating Orion with Osiris, maybe there's something to it, in my opinion. I, I think that um, most people would look at the ancient Egyptian god pantheon or um, structure and be like, oh, this is just what they believed in. They didn't know any better or something like that. But maybe, maybe they did. They knew about a lot of stuff. So... Um, John Anthony West speculated that the water erosion around the base of the Sphinx and the Egyptian Kings list, uh, together might date the site to roughly three, three, uh, 30,000 BC. Uh, his speculation is based on geologist, Dr. Robert Schock's dating of the Sphinx, um, and also the water erosion evidence around the base of the Sphinx. That's a uh, bold prediction. It's very bold and it's very old. Um, but also... <laughs> He makes it's a, growing mold. He he makes a good point about the Sphinx too, about how the proportions seem off. Like they don't the proportions, if you look at the Sphinx, the face and scale with the body is not really matching up. And then who knows what was going on with the full face. He speculated that it could have been a jackal's face or a, a lot, you know, um uh a lion's face or something along those lines where you can see maybe something was cut back even more. Uh-huh. Um, and mainstream archaeologists would just say that the Sphinx was carved out of the um, the rock that was there. So there's member one, member two, and member three. They're the different layers. And some, I think it's the top layer. I don't know if it's member one or member three. I forget. But it's it's just it's not as sturdy. So it breaks down. The stone breaks down a little bit easier, is what they're saying. But again. I'm not a geologist, so I can only put the information out there and let people decide. Others it's good. So I like some of these bold ass predictions because it's good to push the envelope. Right. You know, you start accepting all these things that been fed, that have been fed to you your whole life. Where would we be if we did that? Right. Other theories suggest that it's a power plant. That's Christopher Dunn's ideas, and I, our buddy Aaron Voot has a. Um, a uh, book around these kinds of things too. It's called the evolution cycle. Check that out. Uh, some have su- suggested that it might be been Noah's Ark and that Ark, you know, was translated differently and that Ark might've been same thing as like a pyramid. Uh, some have suggested that it could be the final resting place of the Ark of the covenant, uh, which there's been correlations between the dimensions of the box of the Ark of the covenant, uh, covenant and the, um, the sarcophagus, uh, the stone sarcophagus inside of the Great Pyramid that it could fit in there or something along those lines. Uh, but yeah, so those are the theories. Here's some beautiful pictures. Look at that. That's a great Which one, one of those theories do you side with? If if one. Maybe the Orion's Belt one, if I had to pick one. Only because when you look at there was a lot of alignments with stars all that's all they did probably was look at the stars there's no tvs or you're not even in right that, that was your tv that was your tv so 
I, I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, but again, I, I'm not saying that I don't believe that it could have been just the 20, 2560 BC either. That could totally be the case. Uh-huh. Is that a real picture or is that a drawing? That last one was a picture. Here's the diagram key um, of the interior. So I, I marked it out for you. So if you look at C there at the bottom, you have the bottom chamber. The, so there's three chambers. There's the king's chamber, the queen's chamber, and then there's a chamber that goes underneath the pyramid that's carved into the foundation of the bedrock. Um, C would be the one that's carved into the foundation of the bedrock. I think it was unfinished as well. Um, and then you have G up there uh, at the top. You see that's the grand gallery, that big cutout. And that's when you see that, like, when people, like, looking up in the pyramid, that's usually the shot from the grand gallery. These angles are accurate? Yeah. Um, so, like, that, that, that whole area in G is all up. It's on a diagonal? Yeah. Again, that's what I just mentioned. When you look at the interior of the pyramid and you see that big cutout, that's usually what the picture's of. Um, and then the queen's chamber is F there at the, the, towards the more of the bottom at the middle. Um, the king's chamber is H. And then above the king's chamber is the king's relieving chamber, which are the blocks to support it, to prevent it from crumbling in, which was a huge, huge architectural feat to not have this thing crumble in on these interior um structure or these interior rooms or chambers. yeah there must have been a million pounds above that and then in 2017 they found some other chambers or another chamber um using different techniques i think they used um uh i forget what they used they used like three different techniques of, of finding this thing and um but Zahiwas just claims that, oh, there's nothing to see. It was just... Like pop- radar or something? It, yeah, yeah, something like that. And it, it was needed. Um, that that was there because it was needed when creating one of the shafts or something like that. So, who knows? So, what do they what do they think back on that other picture? What do they think that C, the unfinished subterranean chamber, was used for? I don't... They, don't, they think that it might have been the original king's chamber or something along those lines. But then he changed his mind midway through and then had them put it more or higher up in the structure. Hmm. I don't know. But is that how they would enter it? Like how did they get the actual uh deceased bone remains in there? I think over there through that I see where it says like A H K over there, I think that's how you get in. Okay. Okay. And who knows? There may be more in there, right? They, they, all those spots that are empty, or right. you know, that don't have anything that written over. That, that those could be chamber chambers in there as well. Here's what the site at Tura probably looked like. Um, it's similar to the pictures that uh, you see on like uh, Easter Island with the volcanic tuff and the Ranu Raku or Raraku. Um, Let's see here. Here's another picture. I don't know if that one's an artist one or not. Sick. So to give you size, this is the base of the Great Pyramid, and you see a bunch of um, Australian military guys sitting on it to give you an idea. And that's that's not even making a dent in it. And 
you know, that's, I don't even know how many feet up, but it's not that many. Here's a figurine of Khufu. Here's a layout of the surroundings, as you can see, um, different quarries and stuff like that, um, and sites, a little bird's eye view action. And actually, um, the pyramid, most people don't realize, has eight sides. I think there was a pilot that was flying over in the early 1900s or, or um, in the mid-1900s, something along that along those lines and he noticed that there were shadows on certain parts of it so um the pyramid down the, the middle of each side is actually convex so you're not it's not really straight it's it's got eight sides and it's not the only eight-sided pyramid either i think there's one in china um i forget the name of it but china doesn't really excavate their pyramids they pretend like they don't exist so there's not really much information on that other than there's only two pyramids, I think, that we know of that have eight sides. So here's a picture of that old bastard, Howard Weiss, <laughs> blowing holes in the sides of pyramids with gunpowder. Hey, man, they, that was the only way back he then. He looks smug, though. He looks like he stole Giovanni Caviglia's ideas <laughs> and ran By with By the him. looks of things, I, I think this guy was a thief. <laughs> uh, I'm stealing chambers. Our, 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 yeah, RN Voot made a comment. You got to talk location, location, location. Yeah, so obviously in terms of you've got like the ley lines and the magnetic points on the earth and different things like that. So um, it's located true north, true south. You know, the, the alignments are aligned with the corn, uh, cardinal points uh, uh -huh. perfectly. Um, so there's that. And... Where it is located, some have said it's perfectly in the center of, I forget, I don't even know the, uh, and then you see this, I, I don't know if this meme is true or not, but then there is there is a meme going around where the coordinates, if you write out the coordinates or exact coordinates, that it's also the speed of light, like the, the, the same, it's the same thing. I've seen that all over the internet. I don't know if it's true or not. I've never really looked into Interesting. it, but I think that's kind of kind of interesting yeah you, I, I don't think that that would be one massive coincidence of all that was just just so right there's obviously been some pre premeditative idea behind where it should go and the egyptians were um sick builders obviously they knew and they knew a lot about the stars too um i don't know it's interesting i would like to see some of the mathematics though compared to some of the greek mathematics and see what was lined up and you know you know what i'm saying like how did the greeks math the greek mathematics whether it was euclid and geometry and that stuff line up with what they were doing in in egypt like did egypt did they have knowledge of what they were doing or did it was just like a know-how how to do it like did they understand the theory behind the numbers and the stuff that they were doing that kind of a thing I've never seen any information on that. I would like to see it. I would so. think they had to if if people like us could look at it and still not understand how it was actually built. Right, but do you get what I'm saying? Like it's like I could tell you, okay, go out in your backyard and build a pyramid. You might build a sick pyramid, 
but do you know the exact geometry and why you're doing what you're doing? That's what I'm saying. Right. Like the Greeks knew that, but the Greeks also studied in Egypt, a lot of them, Pythagoras, all these amazing um, pre-Socratics, and then even you've got other people traveling and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think Thales was the first Greek to measure the height of the pyramid. So, um, I don't. It's interesting, but I, I'd like to know what the theory behind the Egyptians, like the the theory of the mathematics that they were using to build these things. What was it, or did did it matter? Because if you're able to do something that well, sometimes it doesn't matter whether you know what you're doing or not. Yeah, you just tuned in to like something. a sick guitarist. Yeah. I've do you know how many guitarists I've met from when I used to work at like Guitar Center and stuff? Some of the sickest guitar players you'll ever meet. And I'll ask, oh, how you know? Do you know this theory or that theory? Do you know? You are you in this mode? Or they go, what are you talking about? I just play. I don't know what the, the hell I'm doing. So right, and then you have a guy like Steve I, who's very right. who's way more technical and uh, really understands what he's doing. Yeah, I know. I I think that's the oldest uh, secret of all is. Where are these ideas coming from? Right. Sometimes they come from studying. Sometimes they just come when we open up or tune into that frequency. So. Right. RN uh, Voot there mentions, it's, uh, he says, it lies on the hairs of the north-south meridian and the east-west parallel, which has the most land. Um, they knew the size of the planet for sure. Yeah, I'm not doubting that they knew the size of the planet. I know that. Um they were able to calculate and some even said that the great pyramid is a model of the planet in terms of mathematics or uh geometry now again it's we know about all the greek stuff because they wrote it down and because and we we are missing chunks of that even because it was so long ago this is even further than that so again i would like to see if there was any i've never really looked into it behind the I mean, you have people like Randall Carlson and sacred geometry and people studying sacred geometry and um, applying that to a lot of these structures and stuff like that. Uh, But it's one thing to know. Okay, so if you were to take... There's symbolism and then there's knowing something. So if you were to take three... Just just put the three pyramids. Let's say they're they're, uh, the size of, I don't know, your hand and you have them set out in front of you. If you put one there, and then two, and then three, do you know that that the one is symbolizing the one, or is it just one thing? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's just kind of what I was getting at with that. But uh, let's see here. Let's go to the next one. Here's another picture here of the Sphinx facing out in front of the pyramid. Here's a picture of the Sphinx pretty much buried. Um up to its shoulders. We've talked about that before on the show. We'll do other episodes on it, but the Sphinx definitely um, has been buried more than a few times. Yeah. And that's pretty much it for we got for the Seven Wonders. I know we spent a lot of time on the end part on the uh, Great Pyramid, but it's got the most information, and if there was more information on some of the other ones, we would have spent more time on them, but well, no, it's good to look at them, admire them, and talk about what we know. Right. Obviously, the pyramids are the greatest feat, so it's good to save that for the end. And I'm glad that we do have mo- the most information on that one, because I think it's the best. Right. Uh, obviously, it was 
built the best um, in terms of longevity. I mean, we might be wiped out as a, as a race soon, and there might be, that might be the only thing that's still left after we're wiped out. Like, how many, you know, how many, right, wipe, we said like, uh, how many wipeouts has this thing seen? Right. Mount Rushmore would be one of the. Yeah. Anything made out of stone uh, like that would be left over. If you're talking skyscrapers, I think. Bye bye. Yeah. I think a couple to a few hundred years, everything like that would be gone. If we all died tomorrow, cars can rust out within a hundred years. Um, that kind of a thing. Well, stay away from that Corona beer. <laughs> uh, Aaron Voot says a hemispheric model of the earth of, or to the earth um, uh, ratio is one to 43,200, which is also correlates to our place in space and time. Cool. Sounds like a long story and we got to dive into that one. Again, there's a lot of these things on the internet circulating around and ideas. And, uh, if you're interested in that kind of aspect of things, you obviously check out Aaron Voot's work, check out Randall Carlson's, Check out Graham Hancock's. All these guys make correlations to all this stuff. So beautiful, yeah. beautiful. That's it. Oh, don't forget to smash that subscribe button, yeah, ladies please, and gentlemen. Please subscribe. We're gonna release this video on Ancient Greece here after we get off live. And uh, if you like that, please leave us a nice message and um, maybe leave a suggestion on something you'd want to see us make a video of in the future. And uh, we're also in the works of creating some uh, entry sonic, I don't even know how to explain it, but uh, for meditation. You can listen to it, get yeah. into the mindset, calm yourself down. We're going to be doing a lot of shorter things. So we're going to still do our normal episodes, hour or two hours. We're going to have guests on. We have a couple great guests coming up in the next few weeks. Um, but then we're also going to do these short videos too because, again, we know people don't have an hour, two hours sometimes. So we're going to try and condense some of these things into more bite-sized packages. Um, speaking of bite-sized packages, anything else, Maurice? <laughs> <laughs> we knew where that was going. <laughs> he goes, Jesus. Well, that's it. I just want to thank everybody for helping us out and contributing on our Patreon. Yeah. Smash that like, subscribe. And uh, we'll be back soon with more juicy tidbits. So, yes, help us grow by contributing $2 a month at our Patreon at patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice. We do have some exclusive interviews and videos up there. Um, We have a couple videos of the strangest things that have happened to some people. And we have some other interviews on there as well. Uh, Check out our website at MikeAndMauriceMindEscape.com. we're on all social media. I'm probably most active on Twitter. And that's pretty much it. Cheers, my friend. We will check you guys next time. Peace.